What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Planeswalkers Anonymous, the magic podcast featuring the freestyle rap of Donovan. I'm your host, Duncan Day, and I'm joined this week, as every week, by my brother, Donovan. Donovan, we're all waiting for this week's original track. You really need to give me more time to prepare if you want me to rap. Well, that's the whole point. Is it supposed to like, do it off the cuff? Uh-huh. That's not happening. Go! Your beatboxing is getting cancelled out as noise. <laughs> oh, I really? I cannot hear it at all. <laughs> Alright, sweet. Well, <laughs> you're just over there making faces. <laughs> okay, it wasn't very good anyway. I'll just blame that. It's like, if I, if I could get a good beat, I would, but like, the beatboxing doesn't transmit over Discord, so... Oh, okay. Alright. Well... I guess we, we got as much amusement out of that as I had hoped to anyway. <laughs> Actually, Good. that's not true. <laughs> like, as much as I expected, maybe. You, you'd hope that actually freestyle rap? <laughs> I, I mean, one can dream. You can dream. One can dream that you would attempt it. <laughs> I know enough about my freestyle rapping skills to not. <laughs> Alright, Domin, I guess if anybody does want to, to hear you rapping just, you know, under your breath or whatever. They probably come over to Boardwalk Games in North Dallas to uh, catch you in the act, right? They can try, and if it's going to happen, like, that's probably the most likely place to catch me. I mean, that's, like, the only place you ever spend time anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Feels like it. You got any up any updates for us about uh, your tragedy last week? Um... I mean, we have we know who it is that did the break in. We just oh, that's need the cops to prob- care. Probably good. Um, the cop. Parts. They tried to sell stuff at another store in Dallas. Yeah, and, and like, like, did they? But that sorry, they 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 had some of the stuff that was pretty obviously stuff that they stole from us, like the signed copy of Badlands, <laughs> and then like just like stuff. other things that are pretty obvious like things that are pretty rare like the stuff foil like unique identifiable is pretty like the foil black market's not like something that's it's the only one but that's a pretty uncommon car just because old foils you know yeah and then like his he had a bunch of the cards still in the card boxes that we keep stuff in on the walls wow um and it was very much looked like the guy from the footage mm-hmm. and so like they bought, like, three cards from him to justify getting a picture of his driver's license. Yeah. And so, like, we, we know who it is. We just need the cops to do something, I guess. Yeah. Well, like, just because of my, I don't know, like, political leanings and stuff, is like, I, I'm not that concerned about, like, punishment or retribution or justice or whatever, but uh, it would be, I, I, it would be good if, like, they could recover y'all's property or something, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like... Kind of feel It'd like be nice to what? But the cops showed up to the place and they talked. They didn't like go into the store. They talked to Will went over there and like he thought the guy had left already. And the people from that shop were just gonna like tell him what they found out, you know? Yeah. But the guy was like still there, and they like told Will he should go over there and confront the guy. And he's like, "I'm not good. Like that's how you get shot or something." <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. Like I think that's reasonable caution. But, so, like, he called the cops, and the cops showed up, and they didn't, like, confront the guy either. They just, like, well, this is all pretty circumstantial. We can't do anything about it without a warrant out for his arrest. And it's just, like... That doesn't seem accurate. Okay, so... 
Like, I can get, like, whatever beat patrol cop showed up there not knowing enough about the case to want to arrest this guy off of random people's word, you know? Yeah. But it's just kind of like, okay, well, what more can we do? You know? It's like, you have DNA evidence of the person. Mm -hmm. We are showing you this is the person who did it. Yeah. Like, what do you want from us? You know? Yeah, no kidding. Like, that sounds crazy to me. Because I know the Mm -hmm. cops don't wait until they have a warrant for the arrest of someone who is, like, in the process of committing a crime. Yeah. Like, and if you see someone selling stolen property, even if they're not the person who stole it, that is a crime. Yeah. So it's so like, like they very are obviously the guy who did it, but not anything I can do about right. it, you know? Right. I'm sorry that there hasn't been more progress on that, but, I mean, it does actually sound like you're made more pro- more progress more quickly than I would have expected on... I mean, I didn't expect him to be that dumb to just, like, <laughs> I mean, go to another major card shop in the area and try to sell the cards. I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast, but I'm pretty sure I mentioned it to you. I did. I expected yeah. him to be that dumb. I I kind of hoped it, to be honest. I'm like, oh, maybe they'll get caught real quick, but, but then, like, the police didn't do anything. I'm like, well, now what do I do? Like, I didn't know if the, uh, if they would be so dumb as to, like, leave it in the boxes and try and sell the, like, uniquely identifiable stuff like that. Um, so I wasn't confident that the person buying the cards would report it because I thought there's some chance that somebody would be shady and buy them and not report it and some chance that somebody would buy them and not realize that that was your stuff, depending on what Mm -hmm. they were offered. Uh, but I did. (laughs) I expected the, the person to try and sell them locally because... Basically, just because somebody who is trying to steal uh, these sort of, like, high-value niche commodities, like, they're they're not a professional thief, most likely. They're someone who's desperate and, like, I, I need some money. Like, even if their, their actual stuff isn't real desperation, if they're like, I need some money because I want this stuff, you know? But, like, they feel like they need some money quickly, and so they're going to jack this expensive stuff from this store and then try and pawn it off at the nearest place they can, you know? But Yeah. But that was... So it's just like, it's weird. Like, I, I know who it is. Mm-hmm. The police have been informed. Yeah. Well, but, I know that uh, that you probably don't want, want to mention, especially on the show, and who knows how much of this conversation is going to make it into the podcast, but I know you don't want to say who it was on the show, but can I ask you, like, is this someone that, that y'all knew or recognized? No, I've never seen him before. Okay. Alright, well, thank you for the update, Donovan. Um, I also just want to remind people that, uh, you know, Boardwalk Games is, is where we get our packs that we give away on the show. It's where I bought buy all of my Magic product. I think that if uh, you want singles, you want draft product, you want any gaming accessories or board games, Boardwalk Games in North Dallas is the place to do it. And that's boardwalk-games.com if you don't happen to be in the Dallas area. Uh, also... Another thing that you can do if you want to shop around online for cool magic stuff is Patreon.com. Well, just Patreon.com. There's lots of cool magic stuff there. Lots of cool, cool creators, and uh, and they they have all kinds of merch and products and things that you can buy. But Patreon.com/slash Planeswalkers is where you find us. And we don't offer a whole lot of stuff, but, you know, you can help make this show happen and you get entered in all of our giveaways. Right now, we are running a couple of month-long giveaways where we're giving away some secret layers. So we'll have uh, we'll have some more information about that on the social media and stuff. You should check that out. That's a 
what is it, facebook.com slash planeswalkersanonymous. Um, yes. Or at Engine Within on Twitter. Those are places you can find our social medias. And uh, right now, we're going to open up a draft pack of Innistrad Midnight Hunt. And because this week is our traditional limited episode where it's uh, been a couple weeks since the set came out, we've had a chance to play some draft, do some seals, that sort of thing. And we're going to talk about uh, what it's like and our advice drafting Innistrad Midnight Hunt. And so we've got a draft pack to open up, and uh, we're going to borrow the uh, old tradition from Limited Resources, it's, uh, one of my favorite magic podcasts, and do what they call a crack-a-pack, where we open up a draft pack, like we do on this show every episode, we talk about all of the things that are in it, then uh, we're going to give away those cards, but before we do, we're going to make our pack one pick one, as if this was a pack we opened up in a draft. Now, uh frequently we just end up taking like the the rare mythic rare because that's frequently the best choice um and if we do that we often will treat this pack as if it did not have that card in it and make another pick uh so we've got a list card you should not have any of those well i mean it's like a, a blank card oh not a list card okay got it i mean i i call it's it is a card for recording your double face cards. On. Yeah, it's called a helper card. They u- they used to make lists of all the double face cards. They were checklist cards. Checklist card. Yeah, here you go. And that one's a helper card. Whatever. Uh, so right now, <laughs> right now that that's my pick uh, based on what we've seen so far. Yeah, that's not allowed. But go on. Then we've got an ooze token. Um, and also not something you're allowed to. Pick. Of the two, I think I'm still. I'm gonna go with the ooze. Just uh, just saying. And we've got a basic Island. Really? There's a helper card, a news token, and a basic island in there? What? Yeah. Um, this one is a foil basic island. It's a foil... Um, what What is this art style called? Eternal Night. Eternal Night. So it's like just got the foiling around the uh, border of the, of the art. But that's a foil basic island. We've got a... Crawl from the Cellar, and a Festival Crasher, a Defenestrate. That Festival Crasher has a neat hat. Yeah, he does. An Electric Revelation, and Bounding Wolf, and a Storm Rider Spirit, a Duress, and a Clarion Cathars. We've got the Lunark Veteran slash Luminous Phantom, then Phantom Carriage, yeah, a Dryad's Revival, and a Blade-Stitched Scabe, and we've got the Scabe Wrangler, and that Scabe Wrangler is a foil. Ooh. Yeah, I just don't know what card that is at all. I actually think in the right deck, the Scabe Wrangler is probably pretty good. Yeah, I think that these creatures with this, uh, the tap three and tap creatures ability are actually better than I expected. Yeah, it's the, uh, it's the, 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 the zombie tokens, right? Yeah. Um, then we you can use all the decayed zombies. Right. Then we got a poppet stitcher slash poppet factory. Ooh, that's a good one. I'm I'm actually really like that card. I would I would love to have that one myself. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. I'm... These packs were yours until we started doing these. So we were uh, we were kind of inserting these onto the notes here. So we've got the the poppet stitcher, got the scabe wrangler, blade blade stitch scabe, dryad's revival. Phantom Carriage, Lunark Veteran, Clarion Cathars, 
Duress, Stormrider Spirit, Bounding Wolf, Electric Revelation, Definistrate, Festival Crasher, Crawl and Crawl from the Cellar, and a Basic Island. All right, so Poppet Stitcher seems like a pretty good pack one pick one. Yeah, Poppet Stitcher is... It's a Mythic Rare, though, so not surprising that it's going to win out. A lot of times the Mythics do. Um, I don't think it's 100% take the Poppet Stitcher. Yeah, I think there's some good picks that in this cards, pack. The Poppet Stitcher does require a little build around to be really very good. Um, you need either some other sources of zombies so that the Poppet Factory doesn't need to be flipping back and forth, or you just need to have a bunch of really good instants and sorcery so you don't need a bunch of good creatures, you know? Yeah. To just use the Poppet Stitcher to make the zombies. But I don't. I think it's probably a pretty good just... Just take this three mana two three that'll sometimes make you some extra zombies if you don't end up playing the deck built around it. Right. So like I, I think the Poppet Stitcher is where I'm at, but we do like to say like, well, okay, the Mythic, sure, but then we'll see what else we would do. Yeah, and I I'm not sure that the Poppet Stitcher is just the like windmill slam out of this pack because we're also looking at a Definistrate and a Lunark veteran in this pack. Yeah, those are the things I like here too um uh i think the blake zips gave's not bad yeah but if i was going to take that i'm going to take the poppet stitcher yeah that that's actually so the the cards that i that i pulled out here include those three that i mentioned plus the blade stitch gave a crawl from the seller and i'm like debating on this scabe wrangler so i think that the scabe wrangler doesn't quite get into the same level as these other five which aren't quite all on the same level either but so i think it doesn't quite make it there but like i was saying i think that in the right deck, I think that is actually as strong as these others. It's just going to require more build around than most of these. Um, and then I think Crawl from the Cellar and Blade Stitch Scape are both really strong picks, but the Blade Stitch Scape is going to be kind of a build around card in two colors, and that, that's just not your not what you want to do first pick most of the time. Yeah. And uh, and the Crawl from the Cellar is just not not quite on the same power level, but I think it is actually really good. Um, I think the Crawl from the Cellar is pretty good but not something you really want a lot of in your deck and since it is a common yeah i think that i would look at getting that guy later yeah but i don't think it's... like the finestrate or lunark better and i think are gonna go a lot faster right i think and you're happier with more of them in your deck yeah and i think this crawl from the cellar is not on the same level as these others it's just the thing i know so i want to plug because like a, a card that takes something a creature from my graveyard and puts it back in my hand is not something i usually want in constructed but in limited I, I want those in my deck, and uh, at one mana, this one is a really good one, and then it also has flashback and a little bonus. Like, it's just, this is actually a really good card, I think, but like you were saying, I don't think it it, it comes close to being on the same level as these others, and uh, while the Blade Skitch Gabe, I think, does, it uh, because of all of the requirements around like how to how you have to draft if you take that, um, I don't think it's it's competing with these. So, the things that I think actually rival Poppet Stitcher for the pick are going to be either the Lunark Veteran or the Definistrate, like I said. And the Definistrate is just a really good, efficient removal spell uh, that's going to go into almost any deck that you end up drafting. Even as a splash, that's like that's fine, you know? And then the uh, Lunark Veteran doesn't, doesn't jump out as a uh, super powerful card at face value, but it's just, it's just really good. Uh, yeah, um... Like, so, the, like, one mana, one one, half a soul sister thing on mm-hmm. it 
is fine and like i could i could play that card right yeah but what makes it really good is once it dies you have the the disturb ability right which lets you get a two mana one one flyer that gains you life when your creatures leave the battlefield right and just like the extra value of another creature tacked on there plus like the fact that it flies and so it really plays into a couple of these different decks as a really key role player yeah and also i think makes that card very very good i think uh in draft formats of yore i would have just like ignored one mana one ones even if even with a, a an ability if it wasn't really good i would have just like been like pass one mana one one doesn't do enough uh but i think in more recent draft environments the in the modern modern limited environment um i think it is good if you have things to do on turn one frequently it's just a little bit faster pace than it used to be and if you can start getting something out there and start doing something, any kind of margin... I still probably wouldn't play just a 1-1 one, one for 1, you know? Mm-hmm. But any kind of utility on that makes it a card that I want to have in my deck and give me some options to get started a little bit earlier. Uh, plus, yeah. this guy kind of contributes to a bit of a curve play. If you play your 1-mana one 1-1 one, one, and something happens to it, then you've got a 2-mana t- card for your next turn, you know? Yeah. It's like, he's real good. Uh, but I think... Um, I think I, I would take the Defenestrate, probably, if, uh, if it came Yeah, I think it. if the Poppet Stitcher's not, I think I would take the Poppet Stitcher, but if it's not there. Oh, yeah. If we're, if this is passed to us without a Poppet Stitcher in it, um, I think I probably, in, in the past, I think I'd probably just grab this Lunar Veteran, because I think that card is so sweet, it's fun to play with. Yeah. But I think I've gotten a lot more disciplined in my draft picks. And I think I'd end up picking up the Defenestrate. I think the Defenestrate goes into more decks. And and more of the decks that you actually want to be playing, too. Um, I actually like the Lunark Veteran better for, like, do I want it in more decks? Really? I just think the Defenestrate's going to go more quickly. And so the Veterans I'm more likely to be able to pick up later if I want them. Because so I, I ended up with five of them in a draft one time. Uh, Yeah, but I also feel like, like any... Any deck where you're playing black, you'll be happy to have the Defenestrate in it. Like, it's maybe mm-hmm. not a high-priority pick, but it's something that you want in any of those decks. Whereas, like, yeah. the Lunark Veteran doesn't just automatically go into any deck that's playing white. I mean, but it's kind of a key role player in, like, any of the decks that's not the white-red one. Yeah, the, <laughs> you're not going to play the white-red one anyway. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I, the white-red one is something you have to, like, really be given the right stuff for. Yeah, I think that um, I think I would I would take the poppet stitcher, and it's really no contest just because like on top of all that you said about like it being a a good powerful card, um, also it's just cool and it's a mythic, and like how often do you get a chance to play good mythics in your draft, you know? And so mm-hmm. so I'd take it. Um, but I think that the defenestrate and the lunark veteran would be reasonable picks even over the poppet stitcher, and if the poppet stitcher weren't there, I'd probably end up taking the defenestrate. Yeah, I, I agree. Fantastic. We're pretty well on the same page. Um, and then, uh, just just to remind everyone, um, all of these cards that we just opened up and everything else that we opened this month, we are going to be giving away at the end of the month to anyone who is signed up on our Patreon. Or if you go to our Patreon, you can find a link to our survey, which is just how you can enter without actually spending any money on the Patreon. So, so you know, the whole... Uh, uh, what is what is it? Was the phrase that commercials used to say all the time when they were running 
contest. No purchase necessary. Yeah, no purchase necessary. <laughs> that's a that's our no purchase necessary thing. So you, mm-hmm. we we try not to make it too painful for you, but you go over to our Patreon, you find our survey and and get in on any of our giveaways anytime we're doing well. You mean you're not going to make them mail you a copy of the ad printed out? Right. Then you can mail them back a code that they can go online to our website and log in and enter the code for an entry? I mean, if we could get away with that, of course, that's how we would do it, right? But, but uh, you know, just last week, I was I was questioning whether we had any listeners. Um, luckily, we, we kind of answered that question this week, so uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But before we do, we've got a whole lot... The answer is no. No listeners. <laughs> but we've got a whole, uh, like, episode about the limited experience in Midnight Hunt to do. So, uh, Donovan, have you... Uh, have you been playing some Midnight Hunt on Arena or in person or anything? Uh, yeah, pretty much Arena. I did the, you know, the the sealed event with you. Yeah. In person, but I haven't done anything else in person. But I've been playing on Arena not as much as I would like to because honestly, I I wanted to spend my Arena gems on those basics. So I spent five thousand gems on getting the Eternal Light basics. Sure. I mean, who can blame you there? But I still did, you know, four or five drafts and. A yeah. couple of them I went undefeated, so nice. um, so I, I did I did get to play a good amount of limited. Like you you had like you trophied or you actually went like undefeated. Well, I went undefeated in matches because I did a lot of the uh, traditional drafts because they this set came out towards the end of the month when I was already kind of found my spot on ranked. Yeah, and that's why I play a lot of the the ranked drafts is because. Whenever you're rank, you're below rank. You know, easy wins. Sure. But once you like get to where you're at, then it's like fifty fifty, and like I don't want to do fifty fifties. You know. So, so you got to a mythic limited ranking already? No, platinums, where it starts getting hard. Okay. Any like, I could. I think I could rank up in limited if I played it a lot more. I mean, I but I, I think we've said before, like we kind of treat limited as if it's my thing because I'm the one who like loves limited more than constructed. But I think you're better at it than I am, so like I'm sure you can get to mythic <laughs> on limited. I think you can get to mythic on anything on arena. Well, no matter how good you are, you just have to put in the games. Yeah, if you want to grind grind it out. But that's not what I what I meant. And so like I usually get platinum in both limited and constructed. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in constructed I, I bump up to diamond. Um but since I just been a lot busier with work since we started running tournaments again. Yeah. I haven't been hitting Mythic every month. Okay. Just haven't been able to put the time in. Sure. And I enjoy brewing decks too much. Like, that's also <laughs> a thing that holds me back, right? Yeah. Is you spend a lot of time trying to get the deck to work. Right. And, like, I do that on my on ranked. I don't play decks on unranked. Yeah. You're saying you don't game the system. You just play. Yeah. Like, I, I play ranked, and... Even if I'm playtesting a deck that I'm, like, trying out and trying new stuff with, like, I, I play it on the ranked queues because I want to know how good the deck is, right? Yeah. That's only... Um, Sorry, go on. And so it's, like, I, I do a lot of stuff like that, and, like, I think there's a lot of things I could do to make it easier for me to hit Mythic every month, but I yeah. don't do them, and so I don't hit Mythic, you know? Yeah, that's something I've, I've never really understood. Like, I get it. I understand it intellectually. I know why people do it. I just don't understand why they want to do this. With which is that like I play a lot of a lot of uh like competitive video games like other than arena, you know. And people mm-hmm. have like 
alternate accounts. Where in a lot of these games, you have to buy another copy of the game to have an alternate account, you know? And what they yeah. do is they will play on their alternate account when they're, like, learning to play a new character or practicing a new map or whatever until they get really good at it, and then they'll go play on their on their main account. And they do that just because they don't want to 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 have those losses on their record on their main account when they're training or practicing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I understand that intellectually. I, I get why. Like, they're trying to preserve their win record on their main account, right? But also... It's not real. Like, <laughs> and they're the only one who cares. Like, trust me, no one else cares what your win rate is in the video game, you know? Like, well, I mean, what if they apply to be on, you know, a, a, an actual video game team? Then they're probably going to have to show that they have the skills. Like, they're not just going to look at their win rate and be like, oh, yeah, you've won 100% of your games. But that's how they're going to filter out the players, you know? Like, I mean, whatever you, maybe. Before they actually... They don't want to go look at everyone who applies to be on the team. Maybe. I don't know, man. Uh, but. I don't think that there's a lot of teams that have open applications anyways. I'm right. just joking. Like, uh, usually they they talent scout, right? Right. But what I'm saying, though, is, like, you, you're you the person who cares, you know? you ca- And, like, that that's mm-hmm. why you do it. It's because you care. I get it, right? But, like, you also are the only one who knows. You know that you have all those losses. So, like. What does it matter? But anyway, well, they like they like having the numbers separate. So it's like, look, these are my this is my win rate when I'm actually you know trying and know what I'm doing. Sure. Whereas this other stuff is just my win rate whenever I I'm goofing off or I I'm playing something that I've literally never done before. Yeah. And they, they like having that separate. You know. Yeah. It's like, I oh. guess in, this, in my mind though, it's like all of that is part of what you have done in the game. So like. Yeah, but anyway, you know, it does it doesn't really matter, um, and I don't care. It doesn't really bother me for people to do that. I think that like smurfing is a little bit annoying, where like people have a an alternate account just so that they can beat up on noobs, you know? Yeah. Uh, but like that's kind of a different thing. It's a very similar thing, but it's it's a different thing. Um, and even that, I don't really care that much about. It's just annoying when you know you're the one getting beat up on because you suck. <laughs> Uh, but here I am talking about other video games. We've got, like, like you know, a, some new Magic content to talk about. The problem is, though, like, I haven't been playing Midnight Hunt, and it's not about the set. Like, I actually like this set. I've had fun with it when I when I played some Sealed. Uh, when we looked at the cards, I, I was kind of excited about them. I just, I've been doing other things, and I've been, and, like, I just haven't been playing Magic. And <laughs> I, I feel like I'm letting people down because I do this much podcast about magic and i just like haven't played any magic for several weeks but uh i i do care i do pay attention and i did some like fairly in-depth research i feel like on uh how the set breaks down and like crunching some of the numbers and stuff and so i have got some some info from limited resources some stuff from 17lands.com and uh you know just some of my own math as like looking at the cards doing number crunching i've got graphs and charts and and all kinds of stuff here to uh i am not that prepared to kind of break down uh how this set yeah but you've played the game (laughs) like i haven't played it at all so I've done some of this and kind of, like, break down, like, uh, about how often you see creatures at, like, what mana costs and what toughness and and uh, what the win rates are for the different color pairs on Arena, stuff like that. And, uh, 
And that's that's what I brought to the table. Donovan has actually played some magic, so I'm kind of looking forward to finding out uh, what hits if he has any answers to some of my questions and like how his experience compares to uh, you know the second hand stuff that I've got. Yeah, I've I have answers for all your questions. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Some of the answers might be I don't know. <laughs> well, that's that is actually like the best answer as long as it's accurate. Like when you don't know. You should never say anything other than I don't know, right? I mean, you can say other things. Just include that. Right. Um, <clears throat> Donovan, do you have any, of any like, uh, uh, I don't know, thoughts or, like, anecdotes or anything that you, you want to bring up before I, like, dive into the crunchy numbers? Uh, well, so, I do have a funny anecdote about a draft I was doing, right? Yeah. So, your numbers here have blue-white as, like, the best archetype. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting. And I kind of, kind of agree with that on my playing. Yeah. But I, so I was doing a draft the other day, and I just, I try to be pretty, pretty loose through the first, like, pack and a half on what I'm picking. Mm-hmm. I just pick the best card and see where I'm at, like, partway through pack two. Or if pack one, like, I'm just all in one color combination, Yeah. then maybe I'll start sticking to that from there. Or if I get something good enough early on in pack one where I'm like, oh, no, this is what I'm playing, you know? Yeah. And so, like, I was picking stuff in, like, pack one, I was pretty pretty well playing. Like, I picked, pack one picked one Storm the Festival because I'm a rare drafter. Sure. Because um, you don't take limited seriously. No, I don't. <laughs> uh, I need to build my collection to play Constructed with. Phew. And I like to play limited to, to get my cards. Yeah. And it's just, with the the payout on arena not really giving you that many more packs for more wins Mm -hmm. i think the rare drafting is encouraged yeah so like i grabbed storm the festival pack one pick one even though i was like ah this is triple green i don't know if i want to commit to this right yeah but then after that i pretty it's pretty well just in blue white i was taking i grabbed a copy of like uh audric's outrider which i think is a really good uncommon in white Mm -hmm. and i had um I think a Lunark veteran, and I had, I think, a couple copies of Baithook Angler, you know? Nice. And I was just like, oh, I'm probably playing blue-white. I think I had, like, maybe one other green card. Mm-hmm. And I think I had, like, a black removal spell of some kind. I don't remember what it was. Maybe it was a Defenestrate. Maybe it was um, Infernal Grasp. I don't know. Probably not Infernal Grasp. I probably would have remembered that. That card's nuts. Something, you know? There's a there's a card in this set that is D Spark, but it's not called D Spark. Spark Harvest, but not to Spark. Oh, but and and actually, I realized later it's not actually exactly Spark Harvest because Spark Harvest just destroyed it. This one exiles. Okay, so it's just a strictly better Spark Harvest. Nice. Um, but anyways, that's not the point. The point being, like, I was I was playing blue white, right? Yeah. And then pack two, pick one. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take this Tovalar because I'll probably <laughs> want that for my collection, right? Sure. And then pack two, pick two, I'm like, uh, I guess I'll take the second Tovalar? <laughs> wow. Then the, and then pack two, pack, pick three, there was a Kessig Naturalist, which is the red-green werewolf uncommon that's, like, really good. Yeah. And I was like, I guess I'll take this guy. And then the next pack, there was another Storm the Festival. And I'm just like, okay, I'll take the Storm the Festival. Wow. Okay, so... So... You- <laughs> so like, pack two, I just completely switched to red-green. And then after the Storm the Festival, there was another Kessig Naturalist that I took. And so I'm just like, okay, we're playing red-green werewolves now. I am i don't know 
if I'm going to be able to get the cards for it at this point, because pack one, we were not in Red Green Werewolves. Right. But I'm just like, but like, not only did I get two Tovalars in a row, which is like so the rare... Tovalar or Tovalar's Huntmaster? Actual Tovalar Dire Overlord. Okay. Like, which is really good if you can play it, right? Right. In Limited? Sure. And so I was like, I, but like, also like, fourth pick in that pack, I got a Kessing Naturalist, which is, means that at least none of those four, three people before me are playing werewolves, right? Right. Well, and so I just like forced werewolves from there on, and I, I, this was a traditional draft, and I did not make the undefeated thing. Yeah, I had two and one instead of three zero. Okay, well, but like for like pack two, me just like completely switching decks. I thought it turned out pretty good. Yeah, and I think the storm the festivals were not as good as they could have been because like red, I just didn't have good ways to get to six mana that often, and it did get stuck in my hand some. Okay, so. So that's actually got a lot of interesting stuff in that anecdote that's like that like we can bring up with, with some of my numbers and some of the stuff that I was reading about this set and stuff. So like for one thing, um, you said that this this one uh, underperformed in relation to your other decks that you've played in this format, right? No, it's probably a, it's probably about on average, oh, really? but not as good as some of them had been. Okay. Like, well two one is like most of the time I'm probably more like a two one record. Okay. But I, I have a couple of them where I, I went all the way to the prize point. Okay. The prize, the, the trophy or whatever, right? Okay. Well, the reason I bring it up, though, is, uh, well, I, I don't think that 2-1 that, uh, is it's a bad record. And also, like you said, there are uh, extenuating circumstances, right? It's just not just like, oh, I played red-green werewolves and it didn't go as good, you know? Also, you, like, switched in pack two and stuff like that. So, like, there's all that. But also, it looks like... Uh, red green is actually the worst of the color combinations just by the numbers and by people's anecdotal experience is that like uh anecdotally it, it kind of varies between red green and blue red uh but red is generally considered to be the worst color right now and uh and red green werewolves is not considered the, a deck that you really want to be in when you're drafting this set. I think that the red-green werewolf deck is real thin. I think it has the same problem we had on um, Forgotten Realms, where in uh, the the life gain deck had, where just people are taking the cards for your deck for any of the other on-color decks. Yeah. And so it's really hard to build the deck because you just, none of your pieces are, are coming around the circle. Yeah, but at the same time... Because your cards are too generic. At the same time, though, isn't it like the Esper colors are generally regarded as as the best colors to be playing? And so, like, red and green, the other people playing playing decks on those colors are also less likely to be happening than than any of the other colors. Uh, I don't know. The Esper colors might be better, but they're not necessarily more played. Okay. Because I think a lot of people do like playing the werewolf deck, and there's also a lot of people who like playing the vampire deck, which is red-black. Yeah. And then there's also the humans deck, which is green-white. And I think that those are, since those ones are, um, like, tribal-themed, I think that they are more popular than the... I think, like, the four tribal-themed ones in the set are more popular than the other ones. Yeah. Or I guess there's five, but... The Blue White Spirits tribe is not very supported. Sure. It's one of the better ones because it's just, look, I'm playing Blue White Flyers. Right. But 
the spirit, the, the actual spirit tribe is not very supported in the set. Um, I think if if you think of like spirits and uh, disturbed creatures as a single tribe, then there's enough there. It's just you have to if you're playing spirits, you're playing disturbed. Yeah, I think the blue white deck is very good. Yeah, but I was just saying that like the thematic tribe is not as fun because you're not doing there's not a lot of tribal support. You know, sure. there's support for disturbed cards. Right. But not a lot of support for the tribe, which is why I think the zombies, werewolves, vampires, and humans ones are more fun for people. And okay. I think those ones are are the most drafted ones. Okay. Is those four. Well, I, I wasn't... I didn't mean this as, like, an argument, but just as, like, uh, supplemental information to that. Is like, I think that's what, what I was saying. There was, like, Disturbed, I think all of the Disturbed cards are spirits. Like, at least on their backside. And so, like, yeah, yeah. the Disturbed mechanic is meant to be, like, a spirit tribal thing. But, like, since mm-hmm. they aren't necessarily spirits on the front face, maybe they don't feel like the a spirit tribal thing to people. Uh, but and, yeah, and then, like, sure. all of the cards that mention disturbed cards, you know, those, like, are also a spirit tribal thing, but they don't say spirit, they say disturbed, so. Yeah. And so it's just, um... I, that's, what, that's what I was saying, is, like, I think that that hurts the red-green deck. Yeah. Is, like red black vampires and green white humans are pretty popular and they those decks are both going to be taking some of your good cards yeah well i also uh i think on i think it was on limited resources they were mentioning that there's also just i think a bunch of cards in the set that just kind of like target the the werewolves because like you've got the uh um what is it that's it's not silver bullet but it's it is like that it's like silver the silver bolt. Yeah, silver bolt just straight up kills a werewolf for, for basically no cost, you know? And uh I mean that card's still not great. Like Right. My opponent played one of those out against me when I was playing the werewolf deck, and they never found a good time to crack it to kill my werewolf. Right. Because they they didn't play a blocker, they were just gonna die. And yeah, sure they could kill one of my creatures, but then all of my other creatures got through. Right. And then, like, and it's just the way things were set up. But there's also, like, Defenestrate, which doesn't specifically call out werewolves, but werewolves are but creatures. there are no werewolves with flying. Right. And so, and also, like, werewolves are some of the scarier creatures in the set that you may want to kill. So, like, they're just really good Defenestrate targets. And I think they had mm-hmm. a couple other examples of, uh, of, like, just really efficient removal spells that hit werewolves harder than they hit some of the other tribes. Um... So it's just kind of it's just kind of an interesting thing that werewolves seems to be the lowest performing uh, tribe in the set that is specifically like themed as the werewolf set. You know? Yeah, that is kind of interesting. I think they may have been trying to correct some of their mistakes in the past of not putting hate cards in the thing that they're trying to push. Yeah. You know, so like they put hate cards in here for this mechanic because they're trying to push the werewolves. And maybe the hate cards came out a little on top. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it... I don't think that the werewolves need to be the best tribe in 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 the set that is highlighting them. Just so long as people, I don't know, notice them and feel like they are present in the flavor of the set, then I think it's fine. Um, but it is kind of interesting that it's not only underperforming, maybe, but, like, performing worse than everything else. Um... But it, it looks like as far as the uh, color pairs and tribal stuff goes, um, it seems like blue X is pretty much 
all the best stuff except for blue red. And as far as I can tell, I think that's because the blue red deck just requires a lot of pieces. Like it wants, it wants you to have the creatures that care about you playing instants and sorceries, and then also plenty of instants and sorceries to play. But like each one of those things that wants you to have instants and sorceries wants you to have multiples of them. And so like you, yeah, I think it's a hard balance to find in limited. Yeah. Whatever the 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 spells deck is just always hard and limited, right? Yeah, like like there are some sets where the spells are just really pushed and they're just so strong that the spells deck is good. There's there's a couple of sets where they have like this card that's like a spell that makes a creature token based on the number of spells you cast this game. Yeah, like whenever that spell is really good, I feel like the spells deck is actually pretty playable. Okay, because. I think there was one in, um, like, Corset 2021 that was, like, four mana or something, and you get a weird token equal to the number of spells in your instants and sorceries in your graveyard, and you return an instant sorcery from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah. And it was just, like, that was really good, you know? Sure. And so, like, the blue-red spells deck was good because you had a spell that gave you creatures. Yeah. And also, you could play your cards that cared about number of spells. And so it's really hard to do that whenever you need to, like, I need to have these creatures that care about the spells I cast, but I need to have enough spells for my creatures that care about my spells to actually do stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the balance is just hard to hit in sure. in decks in this format, and I think this is one of those ones where, like, there's not a good spell to give you recurring value, like, a creature Yeah. in the spell's color, you know? Yeah. The color's that have the creature token cards are green-white, which is not the blue-red spells deck. Right. Uh, another interesting factor I'm seeing in the win percentages stuff is that uh, it seems like the community is generally in agreement that uh, blue-black is the strongest color pair. It's the most popular, and people, people think it's real strong. And it is really strong. Like, it's one of the absolute best. But according to the numbers, uh, blue-white is winning more than blue-black is. I that's what I I thought blue white was the best color combination. Yeah. Um I think blue black has some good haymakers, but that's like we talked about last time on the Forgotten Realms um set review. Yeah. I really look more at the synergies between the cards, and I think the blue white does the synergies better than the blue black. I think blue black might have some of those better heavy like the black cards might be a better heavy hitters, but the white cards are more synergistic. I don't know. I think that the blue black zombie stuff has a lot of synergies and like a lot of intricate things that you can do in there. Um, uh, what I'm thinking, and and I could be totally wrong. You're the one who has the experience. But what I was thinking might make the difference is that uh, that this set also like another metric that I'm looking at here is like the power toughnesses and stuff. And the toughnesses tend to be a little bit higher on average than the powers in this set, which tends yeah. to make it a uh, kind of a board cloggy set kind of runs games a little bit longer you end up with a better better blocks and attacks a lot of the time giving the blocker the advantage and so like evasion becomes a real premium in that environment yeah which is why i think the blue white is slightly better is the blue white flyers are a lot better yeah. than the blue black ones i think flying makes and a white difference. white also has a lot of those cards where you can you know voltron up a creature yeah 
And so if you do that to a flying creature, it's going to help you a lot. Sure. I th- and black doesn't really have that. And that's that's why I think blue-white is better. I think most of the good flyers that blue-white has, blue-black has access to, but they play better in the blue-white deck. Because mm-hmm. they're mostly blue. Uh, at, yeah, but most white also has some... I think has white has some flyers. good some good flyers on there, the disturbed sides of some of these commons oh, and uncommons, yeah, yeah. though. Yeah, the... Like, the, the flyers on the Chaplain of Alms or the... Um, is Beloved Beggar flying? Yeah. Or, like, the Beloved Beggar and stuff like that aren't, like, likely to be, like, match-breaking. Yeah. But they're just... They're the second thing you got out of that creature already, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. You played that creature and got value out of it, and then you also disturbed it and got a flyer, you know? Right. Uh, an- another thing I think is kind of interesting about this stuff... Um, don't don't let me just like steamroll past anything that you want to say. Feel free to stop me and bring something up. Also, uh, the mono like so th- this information about wh- what uh, the win percentages on the different color pairs and stuff I'm getting from seventeenlands.com, which provides basically a little uh they they have a background program that you can run on your PC so that anytime you're playing arena it records uh your like draft picks and your wins and losses and just stuff like that. And it just creates a little database of that information. You can go and look at it and it aggregates it on 17 lands.com. I don't need big brother harvesting my data. Okay. Okay. That's fine. I, I'm, I'm not trying to like, I'm not trying to advertise for them. Although if they want to support the show, I would, I think, I think that they're a good enough thing that I probably would be happy to, to run their ad, but, Oh yeah, that seems fine. I just but uh, that's that's not why I'm bringing it up. I'm just explaining what it is and how this data shows up. Is a lot of people have the 17 lands program, and then it just records like, and, and they get like some pretty granular data. They get like here is the uh, average pick rate that this card goes at, you know, across the 17 lands data, uh, stuff like that, and it, it's pretty cool. But um, I I wrote down in our notes here all of the color pair win rates. They also have win rates for like monocolor decks and three color decks and everything, right? But the monocolor decks tend to perform really well. But I, I feel like that's uh maybe uh related to the fact that if you have all of the cards to make a monocolor deck in limited, you are pretty much the only person taking that color at your table. And I just feel like no matter what your color is, or whether it's better or worse than whatever else is around it in the format. If you get all of the cards in that color at your table, you can probably build a pretty good deck and certainly a consistent deck, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I bring that up because I noticed that while green, uh, green actually is kind of middling, I guess, in the color pairs because the green, blue, and green, white decks are, are relatively high, uh, but the black, green, and green, red are pretty low. Uh, but green was the best of the monocolor decks. And I, I feel like that might be because um, while green maybe doesn't have the uh, synergies and evasion and stuff like we were talking about making making the best decks, uh, it does just have better creatures than any of the other colors. I think there's that, and also it has a couple of rares in it mm-hmm. that you might pass on if you're a more um, disciplined drafter than me. Yeah. That have triple green in their mana cost. That are quite powerful and limited. Sure. And so, like, if you're playing mono green, those spells aren't hard to cast. Yeah. Like, um, 
this uh, unnatural growth is four green and one to cast. <laughs> and it's an enchantment. And it says at the beginning of each combat, double the power and toughness of each creature you control till end of turn. Yeah. Yeah, like that's a super so, powerful card, but it's a card I'll probably like, never take in a draft because I'm never going to cast a triple green card. Or what is exactly. a quadruple green card? Quadruple green. That one is quadruple green. Yeah, I'm never casting that. Like, I played a draft and I had one of those that just ended up in my pool and playing green-white, and I should have played it because what my deck lacked was really just, like, finishing power. Yeah. And I realized that before, like, the first, last match. But, like, the first two matches just didn't go great. I think I won one just barely, and then the other one, I didn't. And I was just like, oh, what is this? Why? Like, this deck seems fine, but it's just like, I just couldn't kill my opponent. Yeah. And I think I should have just played the Unnatural Growth. Yeah. I needed something that just really finished my opponent. And then, like, that Storm the Festival that I mentioned before that I had a couple of in that one draft is triple green to cast, triple green to flash back. So it's just like, sure, you know, a very powerful spell, especially Unlimited, but it's color intensive Mm -hmm. and so i could see the mono green decks getting an extra power boost because there's a because like you played mono green because you drafted this super color specific rare sure and so i I could see that in addition to just green has bigger creatures yeah and like bigger creatures at lower man well not lower but like at the same mana cost you know not just like access to these bigger ones but like like, yeah, like you're paying the same amount of mana for your creatures they're just bigger what was it tovalar's hunt master is just enormous it's a grave titan it's just it's a grave titan for this format right uh but on on that point about the uh power and toughness is i worked out actually this is a math i did on my own and so like mm-hmm. it could be inaccurate because i'm not a great math person uh but i kind of enjoyed doing this because it's fairly simple math and i just sit down and work it all out it's like a puzzle you know right now mm-hmm. like the average power and toughness of creatures in Innistrad Midnight Hunt is an average power of 2.52, an average toughness of 2.69. And, like, there's a lot of variables in here to how you can, how you could arrive at, at these numbers, um, because there is front faces and back faces, right? And so I worked out, what are the averages if you include all of those as separate numbers, right? The front face and Mm -hmm. the back face of all the things. And I also worked out what the averages are for things if you just count the front faces and just disregard all the back face information. I didn't do the back faces independently because even though there are some cards that can come down with their back face as like the only thing that you played, you know, I just, it seemed like the back faces independently were not going to usually be a major factor. Mm-hmm. And then, so like I've, I've got those totals, I've got just the front faces. And then I also thought about it and I worked out actually though, uh, the rares and mythics basically don't shouldn't actually affect our averages here because you will you see them so few so 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 little of the time do they come up in a draft that I didn't didn't feel like they should make up a huge uh, factor in this stuff. So like if you include the rares and mythics, you actually got a, a two point six four to two point eight five in power and toughness, which is just both of those numbers are a little bit higher, right? Yeah. Uh, but what I did was I weighted it, so I just took the commons and the uncommons, and I I weighted the commons a bit heavier uh, at the rate of distribution that they are in the set, and mm-hmm. and I came up, and that's how I came up with this number. Um, but based on that number, and it actually doesn't change whether you go with the weighted average or just the straight average, um, 
this doesn't change is what, and this is just a concept that I have in my head whenever I'm drafting a new set is what I call like the key power and the key toughness of the set. And basically just rounding both of these numbers up to three. It's just that the key toughness is one higher than that, than that number is because what it is, is the key power is the power that you need to be able to kill most of the things, right? So if most things have a toughness of about three, then your key power is three. You want to have power needs power. to meet toughness needs to beat the number, right. right? And that's why toughness is one higher. Yep. And so then the key toughness is four. You want it, You want your things to have four toughness because that yeah, will survive most things, you know. Yeah. And uh, and this key power number will also work for your like removal. Is you want your removal to do three damage if it's damage based removal. Yep. Um. And these are numbers that I like to to know when I'm looking at a card because like in some sets a uh, like a three three, it or a or a two three is a reasonable power and toughness, you know. And like other sets, like nah, you really want something bigger than that, right? And and depending on what else it does and stuff, like you may want the two three anyway. But uh, the the key numbers I'm looking for here are like three power and four toughness is really where I want my creatures to be in this set. I think, and that's again mm-hmm. not having played it, <laughs> just just looking at at the cards and. So then I also went and checked what, like, what the powers of creatures are at various different mana costs. So, like, you can say, hey, uh, am I getting down... Because, like, your average can be, like, three, right? Your average creatures can be three threes. But that could include, like, a bunch of late-game stuff that has a really high toughness and early-game stuff that has a high power, you know? And and so I also went and I've got these two little graphs here that uh, chart these things power and toughness by mana cost and mm-hmm. shows us what the distribution is there and it's a little bit hard to grok i think because there's just a lot of numbers represented here but I mean, it also shows that uh at at your lower mana cost like one to three your creatures tend to have more toughness than they do power yeah and so it just all goes to support what we already said basically which is that uh that this is this is a set that's going to favor blockers with doing ground attacks, and uh, that's going to kind of slow the game up. And um, I think usually that would serve to facilitate like control decks and stuff. Uh, but I don't know that there's a lot of really good control options in this set. I think you may just be looking more at like an attrition style control game for this set, where you just like want to keep the game going and get card advantage and do more stuff and put more stuff out there and like maybe get your get your flyers if you can mm-hmm. all right <laughs> i feel like it's, it's a lot of dry math conversation <laughs> and donovan's commentary was yep so yeah i don't know what else you did some math good job <laughs> thank you um math is usually uh your strong suit not mine so i'm glad that you approve of my math actively seek out math <laughs> usually just good at it when I'm presented with math. I don't just try to find math to do. <laughs> I mean, I don't either, but I did, like, so originally I started out, like, I wanted to know what the, like, key power and key toughness was, and I don't usually sit down and, like, work that out with math. I usually just play and figure out, like, what it kind of feels like to me, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but since I hadn't played, I was like, well, I can probably determine this by math, right? Sure. And then as I as I did it, I kept thinking like, well, but what about this? What if 
what if this average is skewed because of like late game plays or whatever? So like where where does this actually fall in the mana cost? And so like I did more, like broke things down more, you know? Yeah. But I think that's that's what I basically arrived at. Um a couple other things that I kind of encountered as I was doing research on this is uh and this this is supported by my very small experience with um playing that sealed stuff was I, I heard a couple of different people basically commenting that the decayed zombie tokens are actually really good, but you don't really play with them like they're creature tokens. You play with them more like they're like food tokens or clue tokens or something because they don't block ever and yeah. they attack as actively just, can't do that. Right. <laughs> and like they attack as just like a lava dart or something. You know, it's like here's a couple of damage and it's gone now. Yeah, so you don't want to just use them up immediately. Right. You want to try to find value for them. Yeah, so, you know, you can you can attack with them, especially if you got, like, lethal. You'd be like, oh, hey, if I attack with all my zombies, then I should be able to get lethal damage in, right? But otherwise, you, like, like to keep them around so that you can tap them to to use that, uh... What was the card that we opened up? Uh, Scabe Wrangler. It says, tap yep. three untapped creatures you control, tap target creature. And so, like, if you have three or even, like, if you have, like, six decayed zombie tokens, you can be tapping stuff all day, and it basically costs you nothing. Yeah, I think there's Siege Zombie lets you tap three untapped creatures you control to have each opponent lose a life. Yep. And uh, um, and then the another one that I've actually seen some play with is Larder Zombie lets you tap three untapped creatures you control to surveil one. And I thought and that looked pretty, like, ridiculous when we saw it, like, first saw it in the previews and stuff. I was like, that is a huge cost. Tap three untapped creatures for just surveil one. Uh, but it works pretty well when you just have a bunch of stupid zombies laying around. Uh, that and also um, these board stalls, like, just having anything to do with those creatures after your opponent didn't attack into the board stall. Yeah can be super relevant, and I think that the Larder Zombie especially, I like it a little bit better than the other two, because it lets you get into those situations where these tapping three creatures things actually matters more often. Sure. Because the other two are like two mana, one of them's a 2-2, and the other one is, what, a 2-1? This one that we opened here? Yeah. Yeah, it's a 2-1. One of them the two two, one of them the two one, and they're two mana. And the larder zombies a one mana one three. Sure. And so it plays more into that defensive strategy of just like okay, like we're both sitting here staring each other down because if your opponent has like a two one, they don't want to attack into your one three. They don't really want to attack their three one into your one three because they probably paid more mana for that than you did, right? Right. And so it gives you those situations more often where it's like okay, I can get value out of this guy by tapping. My creatures. Yeah. And, like, that's just the the things that let you tap these decayed zombies. Like, there's also a lot of stuff that lets you sacrifice creatures for valuable effects. And they're yeah, I think perfect that the, for that. The decayed zombies, I think, are really best, in my experience, in, like, the black-white deck. Yeah. Because it's, it's, an, it's an aristocrats-themed deck. And so I think the zombies really are the best in there because they just give you these creatures to sacrifice to these different abilities. Sure. Or give you these creatures that die and trigger these other abilities because they died. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that they really shine the best there, but they're easiest to make in the blue-black deck, and so they're, they're also the blue-black deck's quite good as well. 
with them. I mean, like it, they act, they are pretty relevant in that deck as well. Yeah, I think also it, it's a rare, so it doesn't come up that often in limited. But uh, Grafted Identity is the uh, aura for blue, blue, and two. And as an additional cost cast, you sack a creature, and then you enchant a creature. You control the enchanted creature, and the enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one. So, like, yeah. initially looking at that as, like, a, a mind control, but you have to sack a creature, I was like, ooh, mind control's, like, super good and limited, but having to sack a creature for it, then, like, you're you're looking at, like, two for one here, you know? But then you also, like, get yeah. a creature. So, like, I was like, ugh, I don't know if that's good or not. But when you factor in the fact that you're probably sacrificing a decayed zombie for this, like, that's a four-mana mind control that buffs the thing you mind-controlled. That, yeah, that's I, really good. I got blown out by a graft, grafted identity one match. So Yeah, I think, uh, so one of the things that 17 lands tracks um, that is, that's pretty cool, like, so with 17 lands, there's a lot of times that I'm not sure that I am getting the most out of it because it is, like... In my personal opinion, they don't do as much as they could to help you understand the data. They just kind of like, here's the data, you know? Yeah. But one of the data points that they track is what they call uh, improvement when drawn. And I don't know exactly how, how it all works. You go to their website to get the explanations for these like terms and stuff. But basically, it's like takes the, the decks that are playing that card, right? Yeah. And it says like... Here is their win percentage those times when they didn't ever draw this card versus their win percentage when they did draw this card, right? Yeah. And and then it, it, it provides a number, and I don't know exactly what this number represents because the number will be like 5.7 pp or negative 1.8 pp. And I, I don't actually know what that number represents, but I know higher numbers are better, right? And yeah. The reason I bring this up is because I wanted to mention that Grafted, I- grafted identi- Identity is like an 8.4, which is really high. That's, that's a really high score on that. That's like Grafted Identity is winning a lot of games. Well, helping to win a lot of games. This doesn't actually show that, you know, the Grafted Identity made the difference, but... Yeah. But that And that's that's just... I, I don't know. That... The, Factoring in the fact that you have these decayed zombies laying around uh, makes those cards that have a sacrifice effect attached to them much, much better. Yeah, I agree. It's I, I that's why I was saying I think the the black white deck is better with the decayed zombies. Yeah, it's just not as good at making them as the blue black deck is. Sure. Um, another thing that I ran across this one is coming from limited resources again. You know, LSV Luis Scott Vargas. Most of our yeah. listeners are probably familiar with him, but if you're not, he's a pretty famous uh, professional magic player. He, I think he owns Channel Fireball. If he doesn't own it, I think he, he runs it, right? And uh, and he, he's been a, a magic personality for a long time. He's uh, one of the hosts on Limited Resources right now. He said, and I don't want to misquote him, so, you know, this is as far as I can recall. He basically said he would take Organ Hoarder which is a blue common over any rare. And like, and this was, this was, we've been on an episode a couple weeks ago. So still very early in the set. Who knows? His opinion may have changed. Don't go yell at LSV because I said, he said something right. But, uh, or do whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, it's up to you, right? Uh, but organ hoarder is a common blue 
3-2 for a blue and 3. Those when he enters the battlefield, look at the top three cards of your library, then put one of them into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. What do you Seems think? quite good. I mean, it, it is definitely a really good card. And it's, it's common. Four mana, three, two that draws you one and a half cards. Yeah. Like, seems really good. It is really good. But what do you think? Don't you think you're going to take this guy over most of the rares? Probably not. Um, I'm probably not either, but... Um, it, and large part of that is my rare drafter bias. Mm-hmm. But on top of that, it's just like, I think a lot of the rares are better than that. Yeah. But I, I could say... I could see it being better than more than half of the rares, so saying I would take this over most rares could be true. Yeah. But because I'm a rare drafter, I think it's going to tip the balance the other direction for me. Sure. Like, I'm going to want the Rin and Seven. Okay, that's that card's probably better than the Organ <laughs> Hoarder. But, um, see, what's, some, what's something that's probably worse than Organ Hoarder, but I'd probably take it anyways because I wanted to have them for playing Constructed with? Uh, Storm the Festival. Uh, yeah, probably. That's probably a good example. Like Storm the Festival is not great, like not that great in limited because it's six mana and triple green, mm-hmm. and for it to really be all that powerful, you need a bunch of four or five drops in your deck, which makes your deck a little bit weaker. Yeah, because it's a little slower. And then on top of that, you're like not getting the payoff for that till you hit six mana. Sure. And so it's it's not great in limited because the stuff you have to do to make it good is a little harder to pull off in limited. All right. But it's really good and constructed where you can make sure you have enough early game to get you to the point where this card is good and still have a bunch of four and five drops in your deck to hit off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think Storm of the Festival is a great example of that. It's like I'd probably take them because I wanted to have them to play constructed with. Yeah, There's not anything I particularly want to play built around Storm of the Festival, but it's just a card I'm like, oh, I probably do want these. But it's probably much worse than Organ Hoarder and Limited, so I probably would still take the Storm of the Festival. But the Organ Hoarder would have been the correct pull. Um, I think, for me, I, I would also probably tend to take the Rare, uh, but it's a slightly different reason. Is that, um, mostly it's just, I think, even, even when the Organ Hoarder is better than the Rare, it's frequently going to be close. Like, sometimes the Rare is going to be the better card, right? And sometimes it's not but it's close, and then there are times when, like, the Organ Hoarder is just clearly better, right? Yeah. And a lot of those times when it's close, I'm probably going to take the rare just because in any any given draft, that there's probably, a like, there's two to three Organ Hoarders going around the table. So I have a pretty good shot at having another chance at picking up Organ Hoarder, whereas that rare is probably the only one of that rare that got opened at the whole table. So the debate there, though, is if Organ Hoarder is this good, though, you're only likely to see the ones you opened. That's true. That's true. Uh, that's, so that's a good point. I just feel like... like yeah, they're, they're, you might open another one, and also your the rare is probably also the same. You're probably also only going to see that rare if you opened it. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think, with Organ Hoarder being kind of as good as it is in Limited, like, I, I honestly hadn't noted it noticed it that much yeah well i think that one of the reasons why it's so good isn't just inherently the card being powerful but like we've been talking about about how this uh this format kind of clogs the ground it might run a little longer you might be playing a bit more attrition this card is a reasonable creature that gives you a bunch of card advantage and so yeah it's just that's really good 
And we say a bunch of card advantage when it only puts one in your hand, just in case anyone's not paying that close attention. Because this format has a bunch of Disturb and Flashback cards in it, yeah. those card, those two cards you put in your graveyard are frequently going to give you another spell to cast there as well. Yeah, and like just and then on top of those, this is only a very small difference, uh, but on top of those, like with every set, there are things that like will get a creature back from the graveyard, and there's a couple, and there's a, I think at least one spell that lets you get an or sorcery back from your graveyard. You know, so like not only mm-hmm. the disturbed and flashbacks, but like anything you put in your graveyard, you can like think of as an available resource. Yeah, so it's just um, that's what- so it's 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 a good card, and it's just generically useful in any deck. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, I, I just, I hadn't really noticed it before you mentioned it. Like, I had seen the card, and I'm like, yeah, that's probably fine. But yeah. I hadn't really, like, thought about it being, like, the best card to pick. Yeah. A lot of the times. Yeah, it, it, pro- I hadn't actually thought about this and, like, made a tier list or anything. I say, Organ Hoarder probably is the best common. Probably. And, which, which means it's, and it's enough of a good common that it's probably, like, just, the number of packs it's in versus the number of packs the cards that are better in it mm-hmm. than it is in any given pack, it's probably the best pull. Right. So, I, I guess uh, one takeaway from this is play play organ hoarder decks. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> That's why I'd like the best the best three win rate decks for if we go go back to the win rates that we were talking about earlier are, are blue white, blue black, and blue green. So, and all of those would be happy to have organ hoarder in them. Mm-hmm. I haven't had much success with the blue green deck, but uh, yeah, actually, that's another uh, another kind of anecdotal thing I heard is that the uh, blue green deck is harder to get and play than than the other blue decks. Um, but it's also I haven't tried it much. I just I just played it the one time. Yeah. So maybe I'm maybe I just didn't do it right, you know. But it just it wasn't super great. So do you want to? I think we've pretty much covered the stuff I mostly wanted to talk about. Yeah. Did you want to go over the signpost uncommons and talk about each color pair's uh, like archetype? Sure. Do you have Do you have those like at hand or not? Really, I was just going to look. Mythic spoiler has stuff broken down by colors and then by rarity, and so like the multicolored uncommons are all in one spot. Okay. Well, yeah. Why Why don't um, you start us off in that? We'll... This set has twenty dual colored uncommons. Yeah, there's, okay, there's, there's two for, two each, for color each color combination. Right? And I think that some of them are just things you could get from those colors, and some of them are, they're like signpost uncommons. Right. And it's hard to tell which one is which on some of them where they're similar effects. Sure. Because, and I don't think that that's necessarily like, in. I don't think they're trying to make a signpost uncommon and a not signpost uncommon. Mm-hmm. I think they just made two colored, they made ten total dual colored uncommons for the set because they just wanted to right or it made 20 total and it's just so you end up with a card that is some in some of them you got double signpost uncommons and in some of them you got a card that is what this archetype is trying to do in this format and another card that is just things these colors do that they wanted to put in the set you know yeah so i was just going to go around the color combinations and talk about what the co- the uncommons are for it and what they do and how they affect the 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 archetype. Yeah. So I'm gonna just start at the top of the the wheel here and we've got blue white, right? Okay. Um. So blue white's got faithful mending, which is blue and a white instant. You gain two life, draw two cards, discard two cards with flashback for a blue and a white and one, and it's an instant. I don't know if I said instant already. And then it's got devoted graft keeper, which is a blue and a white 
for a 2-1 human peasant token, or creature, not token, <laughs> creature, sure. that enters the battlefield and mills you two cards, and when you cast a spell from your graveyard, you tap target creature you don't control, then has a disturb for a blue, a white, and one, and the disturb ability is a flying, uh, it can only block creatures of flying to 3-1, and it flyer. has the disturb that, you know, if it leaves, if it goes to the graveyard, exile it, yeah. so you can't keep disturbing it. Right. And so I think that the the if I was gonna pick one as the signpost uncommon per se, I would go with the devoted graph keeper. Yeah, I think it's. But both of them are playing into what the archetype right is trying to do. The devoted graph keeper is kind of the like spirit tribal one of these, but both of them are kind of pointing at with blue white. You are going to be uh, playing stuff and then recasting it from the grave. Yeah. Um. So blue white is. It's got the spirit tribal thing, but really it's what the archetype is really about is regaining value from the cards you've already used in the graveyard. Yeah. With flashback and disturb. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's, yeah, so the Faithful Mending lets you draw cards. And it's like not card advantage because you draw two and discard two and you used up the card from your originally. But whenever you can recast cards from your graveyard, those discarded two cards aren't really gone. Plus this card has flashback. And so... It really is in this archetype kind of card advantage. Yeah. Where in the devoted graph keeper just is a creature with disturbed. Sure. And then like helps it says that uh it gives you benefit for casting cards from your graveyard and stuff. Right. So it's like that's kind of blue white's thing, right? Is the spirits, but also just recasting stuff from the graveyard. Yeah. Um blue black, we've got the blade stitch stop for the blue and a black for a 2-3 zombie soldier that says other zombies you control get plus 1 plus 0. Oh. And then Corpse Cobble, which is a blue and a black, and as additional cost to cast it, sacrifice any number of creatures, create an XX blue and black zombie creature token with Menace, X is the total power of sacrifice creatures, and the flashbacks for a blue, a black, and 3. And I really feel like this one is one of those ones where the Blade Stitch Scob is really the signpost uncommon for this color combination. Blue-black is zombies yeah. in this format. I, mean, I think they're both pointing that direction. I think the Blade Stitch I think the Corpse Cobble makes better. a zombie, and... It's giving you something really powerful to do with your disturbed, with your um, decayed zombies if you have a bunch of them. Yeah. But it's not really feeding doing a zombie strategy, you know? Yeah, that's true. Uh, and so, like, I think that it's it's fine card and it's good in your blue-black deck, but it's not really the telling thing that tells you what blue-black is trying to do in this archetype. Okay. Because it's got, it, it seems more like a sacrifice spell, which is not, which is the black-white archetype for this format okay you know what i mean sure i i'm just saying like it is like a like it doesn't uh help your other zombies but like this thing makes zombies and i think that the the blue black thing is kind of like zombie tribal you know Mm -hmm. make what do you mean i think this thing has flashback sure each time you cast it though it makes a zombie yeah any spell you cast multiple times will do its thing more than once. Right, but most spells don't like inherently have a way to cast them multiple times. Sure. So but I'm just saying this spell makes a zombie. Makes zombies. It makes one zombie. It makes multiple zombies. <laughs> That's not important. <laughs> it does. Um, Go on. Then black red is vampires, mm-hmm. and it's got the vampire socialite for a black and a red for a two two menace vampire noble. That says when it enters the battlefield, the opponent lost life this turn. Put a plus one plus one counter on each other vampire you control. Each. And as long as an opponent life lost life this turn, each other vampire you control enters the battlefield. An additional plus one plus one counter on it. 
So it's it's just going to put a plus one, plus one counter on your other vampires, and it's going to put plus one, plus one counters on your other vampires going forward. It's just to, to get that benefit, you do need to draw blood from your opponent, which right. is the... So this is saying, the gimmick there this is, saying, is several of the vampires in this set are built around this theme of actually having dealt damage to your opponent. And this is the this is once again one that I think is this is the signpost uncommon. It's vampires and it's having dealt damage to your opponent. Whereas the other one is a card that enables you to do that, but isn't like super representative of that. Sure. Which is hungry for more, which is a black and a red create a three one black and red vampire creature token with trample life link and haste. Sacrifice at the beginning of the next instep and flashbacks for a red, black, and one sorcery. And so, Hungry for More, like, it makes a vampire and it helps you deal damage to your opponent. And so, like, yeah, it's playing into that, the vampires and dealing damage to your opponent theme. But it it doesn't really benefit from you having done that, you know? Yeah. So I think the Vampire Socialite is really the key signpost uncommon, and the Hungry for More is just kind of an enabler. Okay. Um... Then we've got red and green, which I think we mentioned before is werewolves. And it's one that I think's got just double signpost uncommons in it. Like both of these cards are, you know, showing you what you're doing in these colors. We've got unnatural moonrise for a red, a green for a sorcery. It says it becomes night until end of turn. Target creature gets plus one plus oh and gains trample. And whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Then flashbacks are red and green too. And like, the plus one plus zero gains trample and like when Strigil's combat damage to a player draw a card is just like a bonus like make this card actually more useful whenever you don't have werewolves thing going on. Yeah. But like it becomes night is really like the thing like oh this is a werewolf card that really enables werewolves because putting them on the backside in general just is an upgrade in this set. Yeah. I think though while that is a reasonable signpost uncommon I think the real signpost uncommon here is like the Lord of the Ulundalb. Yeah, I just I just did that one first because it was first in my image here. Sure, no, no, I, I'm not I'm not saying that you should have mentioned it already. I just mean like on the backside of Kessig Naturalist, like that is like a very like stake in the ground. Here's what you do, you know. <laughs> and so like that is like is like a kind of reasonable signpost uncommon. Mm-hmm. But then like the real oh, I think I didn't mention it's flashback for four mana. But the the real, like, okay, that was kind of a signpost uncommon style thing. But no, this here is a signpost uncommon. Is Kessig Naturalist is a red and green for a 2-2 human werewolf that whenever he attacks, add a red or a green to your mana pool, and that mana doesn't empty a steps and phases end this turn. And it's got Daybound. And then the backside is our Lord of the Uvenwald which is a 3-3 other werewolves and wolves you control get plus one, plus one, and whenever it attacks, you get that mana again. Right. And I, I want to point out, it, it says you don't lose mana as steps and phases end. The idea there being that, like, since... Well, it, it says until end of turn, you don't lose mana as steps r- right. and phases end. But, like, since you get that mana uh, when it attacks, you would have to use that Fend mana... it before combat's yeah, over. during in combat in, in order for it to be useful. Yeah, and this is just a werewolf tribal card. Yeah. Is a werewolf, gives wolves and werewolves plus one plus one if you get it to the backside, right? Yeah. Um, and then last but not least of our allied colors, we've got green white. It's Dawnheart Wardens, which is a human warlock for a 3 3 with vigilance and coven. At the beginning of your combat on your turn, if you control three or more creatures with different powers, creature you control get plus one plus oh until in a turn. And so, like, green white is the humans thing, and the other card also makes humans, but, like, this is a human and has the coven ability, which is coven is the other green white 
like it's humans and coven right right um and so the this is a human with coven whereas the join the dance like is the other green white uncommon it's a green and a white for a sorcery create two one one human creature tokens flashbacks for five mana and it's just like yeah it makes humans but like they're two one ones that are like not different powers so it doesn't like help make coven really sure happen and so i'm just like eh like i don't feel like this really is very telling about what you're supposed to be doing in green white in green white you want to be making you want to have humans and you want to have like various different power sets so you can get the different abilities off your coven creatures right also while while that's brought up how uh, have what have you thought of coven playing with it um does it seem as bad as we thought it was it's a bit awkward but it's actually quite good okay so because the um, abilities are just powerful if you happen to have it, or you have it more often it, than you The awkward thing is actually most of the coven creatures have three power. Yeah. And so it's just awkward to get set up because you it's hard to have coven and have a bunch of coven creatures. Sure. A good amount of them are two power, but it's still just like two or three power for the most part. So it's like, oh, if I cover creatures all have coven, I just won't have coven, right? Right. Which is <laughs> kind of funny. Um, and then we've got uh, white-black. Which is the... So, like, I think it's interesting the allied colors are all tribal themes. Mm-hmm. Like, somewhat. Even if um, some of them are more heavy into it than others. Yeah. And then the enemy colors aren't. Are none of the enemy colors tribal? No, that's uh, that's the five tribes of the set. You're right. Covered already. That's, I hadn't noticed um, that. I didn't either till we got to the third one of this and I'd noticed it was tribal. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the enemy colors... got Black, white is... The Aristocrats theme. Um, and so it's got uh, Flesh Taker, which is a black and white for a 2-2. Whenever you sacrifice another creature, you gain a life and scry one. And then you can pay one and sack another creature to give it plus two, plus two till in the turn. Yep. And this is the one that I'm like heavy-handed. This is a signpost uncommon. But the other one still kind of works as a signpost uncommon too. Which is Ride of Oblivion, black and white for a sorcery. As additional cost to sacrifice it, sacrifice an online permanent. You can exile target non-land permanent, and then flashbacks for four mana. So it's it's just a pretty powerful removal spell, even though it's kind of costly. Right, but Donovan, I'm gonna posit something to you. What's that? I think you don't think making tokens for the tribe that this set is or for that color pair is a signpost for that. But I think Watsi does because so far you've agreed that. These cards are like both signpost cards for the for the colors, except for blue black, where one of them just makes zombie tokens, and uh, green, green white, white, where one of them makes a human token. Makes human tokens. Black red, where it makes a vampire token. Yeah, and black red, where it just makes a vampire token. Uh, sure, you can believe that, but I think Watsi's wrong. Okay, like if you just make a bunch of the vampire tokens, you're just gonna lose that vampire token's shite. <laughs> I, but I think, and so if you do the thing that that card does, you're going to lose the game. Right. Whereas the other one promotes a strategy that helps you win. Okay. But my point is, I think they're saying, "Hey, uh, vampire tribal is what you want." Um, which it like this deck or this card doesn't do anything with like tribal mechanics, but because it makes vampire tokens, you're meant to be like, "Ah, vampire deck." That's what this card is telling me. And then if you build a vampire deck, you will get cards in it that have this strategy associated. Sure, and I guess really the the 
those ones are ones where I'm kind of could see them all being signpost uncommons. Yeah. It's really red, white, and blue, green that make me go like, okay, these aren't all signpost uncommons. All right, we'll we'll get there. Yeah. Oh, and blue, red. Blue, red's the other one. Like, I guess blue, red, they both kind of work, but one of them's just a shitty card, I guess, is the difference. <laughs> all right, so, so but like, we've got another black, white card to do, and then a couple more cards, I did cards those. before we... Oh, you you got the you did the second one already. Yeah. Okay, my bad. So black green. Um, you got black green next. Well, I'm just going around the circle. That's huh. blue, white, and go hey, white, yeah, black. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Would be first, and if you go from black, you can't go back to black, white. That's the same thing you just did. So you have to do black, green, right? Is that not how? Uh, no, that's fine. You have blue, red next. Yep. Because it's that's dumb. White and then blue and then black. Then red and then green. Sure, sure. We can do that next. I, just I don't care. I don't care how it goes. Do them in the we'll order. We'll do blue, red. Blue, red, we have Storm Skrillex. Okay. <laughs> sure. Which is a blue and a red and three flying instant sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. Uh, whenever you cast an instant sorcery spell, Storm Skrillex gets plus two plus oh till in a turn and it's a two four. Yep. So it's just, you know, blue, red spells. And then Arcane Infusion, which is a blue and a red instant. Look at top four cards of your library. You can reveal an insert sorcery card from among them. Put it in your hand. Rest on the bottom of your library in random order. Flashbacks for five mana. And so it's just like, yeah, these both promote the spells effect. It's just Arcane Infusion sucks in limited. So like, yeah, and also don't those, ever play that. The Storm Storm Skrillex is only good if you're really hard into this deck. Yeah. Also, the Storm Skrillex like is kind of like you said. This is more a strategy. It was like the Arcane Infusion is just useful in that strategy yeah like i think they really try to do a card that is what you're doing and one that's an enabler for that yeah and the arcane infusions trying to enable you to have a bunch of instants and sorceries to cast because you cast an instant and then it gave you another instant or sorcery sure it's just it's a bad card right yeah because it's like in limited i only get to look at the top four to find an instant or sorcery like i shouldn't have that many in my deck where this is really very good like i might hit another card off of it but yeah, I mean, I think that's about what you kind of expect it to be in limited. Uh, I think if I'm getting an instant or sorcery, I want to look at five or six cards. Like, yeah, then it'd probably be too good and constructed. Maybe, but got to balance. <laughs> I, Solemnity Vision doesn't really see any play. I think Arcane Infusion. Let's look at the top five for an instant or sorcery. I don't think Arcane Infusion is good. I think it might be a little better than you're giving it credit for, but just because. I think that I play more instants and sorceries in my decks than you do already. And then if I'm playing the blue-red instants and sorceries spells, like, I expect to hit something on this. I would I would be surprised if I whiffed, and that's all it has so to be. So I think you probably will hit something on this. You're just not going to have any options, which is how this card is good, is if you get to look at two and pick one. Yeah, ideally. Um, sometimes and you so it's have like, options. Sometimes if I'm not going to see two in there, like... This isn't worth playing. I'd rather just play another instant sorcery. Is just my opinion. I don't know. I think that might be true if you weren't getting a benefit from just having played an instant or sorcery. Like if you were just playing <laughs> a blue red deck and didn't have any special thing about instants and sorceries, and you played this, then yeah, you would you would want to get to pick some stuff off it in order for it to be doing anything at all. Otherwise, it's just wasting a spot, right? But like. Mm-hmm. If you have a spell that's gonna like flip because you played an instant or sorcery or something, then playing this, you got your you got use for it, and then you got another instant or sorcery to play next turn so that you can 
get like a plus another plus two plus two on your creature or whatever and also then you can flash this back the next turn to get another plus two plus two and that got you another spell that you can get to plus two plus two or whatever you know yeah so i i think it's not bad in in that deck it's not bad i don't think it's going to be great but i think it's fine in the deck that it's and so the next up i guess we've got black green now (laughs) which is the one the one where i think that like one of them is definitely doesn't feel like a signpost uncommon, like actually. And then also neither of them are an enabler for the mechanic. And so it's just like that breaks my mold of going, oh, they did like a card that plays with this strategy and one that enables the strategy. Yeah. They didn't do that in this one because we've got Grizzly Ghoul, which is, I think, a pretty reasonable signpost uncommon. Black, green and two, four, three trampler. Uh, when it enters, enters battlefield, the plus one, plus one counter on it for each creature that died this turn. When black, green's thing in this set is morbid like yeah your spells and effects have more power for a creature having died this turn sure i think and then the black green the other one it does is diagraph rebirth which i guess costs one less for each creature that died this turn but the card doesn't do more for it yeah which is a black green and three return target creature from your graveyard to the battlefield flashbacks for seven mm-hmm. and so it's like i guess this one kind of also plays into like oh you're playing like creatures having died but it's just like I don't feel like it. Like uh, the re- the the focus of this is that reanimate spell. The costing one less for each creature that died this turn doesn't really feel that relevant because you're gonna play this card even if you're not enabling that. If you're playing black green, like I, I just get to put my best creature back into play. Yeah. Like so, I I think that this one is kind of like weak as far as like being a signpost uncommon and also doesn't enable the mechanic either. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish uh, Ride of Oblivion was a black-green card. Uh, what is Ride of It's the black-white uncommon that sack a non-land permanent to destroy target non-land permanent. Oh. Or exile target non-land permanent. Like, like if you sacked a creature to do a thing, I think that would be a better black-green card for this mechanic yeah. set. But that's not really important. Um, going on from But going on from there um, is, I guess, red-white. Mm-hmm. And here's the one where, like, I think that one of the cards is just not what this mechanic set is doing. Yeah. Because red-white, the like, the signpost guy is Sunrise Cavalier. Red-white and one for a 3-3 three, three, Trample Haste. If it's neither day or night, it becomes day as it enters the battlefield. When it becomes day or night, or when night becomes day or day becomes night, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Yep. Red-white is just about, like, having those shifts between day and night. Okay. White has a lot of these cards that do this exact thing. Red has a bunch of, has a couple of those and also just some werewolves in it that are doing the night, have day bound, night bound. And then it's got some uh, some spells that help you with having the mana to cast two spells in a turn and stuff like that. Okay. And then the other red, white uncommon is Sacred Fire, which is just a red and white for an instant, deals two damage, target creature, you gain two life, and then flashbacks for six. If it costs less mana to flash it back, I could be like, oh, this is like trying to give, like, you just gotta, you cast this spell, you can flash it back, and like, that helps you cast two spells to switch it back to daytime. Mm-hmm. And it's an instant, so you can play it on your opponent's turn, so, like, you could not play a spell on your turn and still, like, develop your board to make it nighttime. Yeah. And so, like, I could kind of see that, but I really feel like this just doesn't really communicate to the player at all. I didn't realize... This- that red white was about this flip flopping situation. I thought red white was just like the aggro deck. And it was... No, it's it's about flip flopping. It gets a lot of value from changing back and forth between night and day. Okay. Red's got a few cards that are more powerful if it's nighttime. Um, 
Right. But then also has a couple of these cards like this guy that say, if it becomes day or if it becomes night, do a thing. All right. And a red-white aggro deck might be better than doing this. I'm not trying to argue what you should play in Limited. I'm just telling you the archetype they put in the format. This one is pretty weak. Okay, I just, it seems like, like that's... Sunrise Cavalier is pretty good. It's a three-mana, three-three, a trample haste that can also make things bigger, you know? It just seems like that's a white mechanic, and then, like, there's a couple of cards in, like, all the colors that have that same mechanic. But, like, there's a I bunch of stuff so. in white that does that. I think it's just red and white that have no, that, isn't it? there's a blue creature that ha- does it, for sure. You know, there's a blue one. A Curious Homunculus. Or not Curious Homunculus, it's a component collector is what it's called. Does this. When day becomes night or night becomes day, yep. he does a thing. Mm-hmm. That's true, I think that there's but a it's a lot heavier in blue, colors. red, and white. Maybe right. maybe it's just, maybe I'm just being led astray. I don't I don't know who you fact. are. I, you've You've played with the cards. I haven't. <laughs> what is a... But, uh, what's left? Well, you're making me do this weird, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, green and blue. Um, so green-blue, we've got our um, Root Coil Creeper. Mm-hmm. is the guy. He, blue and green for a 2-2. Taps for a man of any color. You can tap it for two mana of any one color if you're spinning it and cast spells from your graveyard. Blue-green uh, return target card. Flashback you own from exile to your hand. And this card's just... The blue-green cards are just a kind of about doing stuff, like, milling over cards as a form of drawing cards. Yeah, flashback. Like, so you've got flashback, blue's got some disturbed creatures, yep. green has some stuff that puts cards from your graveyard back in your hand. Okay. Um, and it has, has a few flashback spells as well. Sure. But there's, like, you know, there's flashback and all the things. But that's kind of where, like, blue-green is, like, getting value from milling. Mm-hmm. And so this guy lets you flashback spells, and then also you can use this guy to get one of those flashback spells back, play it, and then flashback it again, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you've also got Winterhorn Blessing, which is a blue and a green, and this card has flashback, so I guess it kind of plays into this. <laughs> but I'm like, really? It's a blue and a green sorcery. Put a plus one, plus one counter up to one target creature you control. Tap up to one target creature you don't control. The creature doesn't untap during its controller and untaps up. This should just say mill two. Like, just tack Mill 2 at the bottom of this, and it would work great as, like, a blue-green card for this set. Yeah. Like, this just does but a I, green thing and a blue thing. Yeah, it's just, it, you know, puts a plus one, plus one counter on your creature, taps one of theirs, and or freezes one of theirs, right? Yeah. And then it has flashbacks. I'm like, <laughs> whatever, like, I guess this is... It has flashback. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it has flashback for three mana. So it's just like, I guess? All right. So that's that's our signpost on commons. We got a uh, blue white is like spirits and disturb. Blue black is basically just straight up zombies. The uh, black red is the vampire Vampires tribal and, with the and, like, silk mechanic. The first the blood the blood loss drawing yes. blood. That's what I'm trying to say. And red green is werewolves. Uh, green white is humans with humans covens. And, yep. Uh, white black is sacrificing your your own creatures to big up your other creatures and have positive effects. Uh, Blue-red is playing instants and sorceries. Black-green is uh, things dying. Your morbid triggers. When things go to your graveyard, you get bonuses. Uh, It's actually very similar to black-white, but there you go. Black-white is about the act of sacrificing them, and black-green is just them having died. Right. Yeah, so with your with your black green, uh, you can, you can get that effect from blocks and attacks and stuff. Whereas with the 
black white, you have to have like actually used the sacrifice word. Yeah, is is the idea of the difference, right? Mm-hmm. Like they are very similar. And red white is the when day becomes night or night becomes day mechanic, and green blue is milling and flashbacking. Does that seem accurate? Yeah, I guess you could say like red white is like to is about like bursts of power. Which could kind of lean towards that aggro strategy, you know? Yeah. Like, if you don't do anything for a turn, your stuff transforms and you get the resources to then do two things next turn and flip things back or, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, sustained pressure? I don't know. I don't know either. I think the red-white mechanic, their archetype for red-white is a little bit weakly demonstrated and does kind of just play into that just aggro strategy, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um... But, like, red-white kind of gets pigeonholed as the aggro colors, um, color pair. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a set do something else with red-white, where, like... Like Strixhaven? Um, I guess, but Strixhaven... Where it was the recursion color pair? Strixhaven, it was kind of bad, though, so... Yeah? And, and like... Because the red and white colors don't do other things very... <laughs> well, like, white... That's where red and white overlap, the color box. <laughs> yeah, I guess aggro. so. But, uh... I don't know, Dom, what else do you want to to talk about? That's the last thing I really wanted to cover. Like, I wanted to make sure the listeners who listened to this episode were informed about what archetypes the colors were going to give you. Sure. And I wanted, I like going over the signpost uncommons because I think that's a good way to demonstrate that. It's like, look, here's what these colors are trying to do. Yeah. And uh, I think we generally agree that the uh, blue-white is maybe the strongest deck if you can get that. Blue black is kind of a is also really quite strong. I think the blue white deck is stronger, but the blue black deck is almost as good and easier to get the cards. For. Yeah, what would you recommend if someone wanted to go off meta a bit so they didn't have to compete for the deck, but they want want to play something real good? Maybe black white. I would go green white. Yeah, yeah. Um, the I think that the humans and the coven thing actually has turned out pretty good. Okay. Um, you just you if you want to do that though, you do need to make sure to grab a couple of the cards that let you control the power and toughness of your creatures. Sure. Um, Audric's Outriders is like the best one for that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It says if it or another creature you control dies, you can put a plus one plus one counter on target creature, which gives you a lot of can. Like in the green white deck, you have creatures that fall by the wayside. Yeah. Quite often, and you, and so it's just like the the getting to control where you put the counters is pretty good, or maybe the uh, Haunt Hound Tamer lets you put pay four mana to put a counter on something, or the Dawnheart Mentor lets you pay six mana to give something extra power. Sure. Oh, no, you have to have Coven active first before you can use that one, so maybe not that one. Okay. But, um, so, like, those things, or, like, uh, Defend the Celestis lets you distribute some counters, or uh, the Gavany Silversmiths or the Timberland Guide put counters on things when they come in. So, like, things like that. If I'm going to play the green-white deck, those are your important pickups. Yeah. Are cards with Coven, and then cards that let you manipulate the powers and toughness of your creatures. Mm -hmm. Because the set's not going to just generically give you a bunch of different powers. Right. Uh, So, I've just found that on when I just play my creatures, I just... I end up with a lot of three-power creatures. Yeah. So, like, manipulating it is where you end up wanting to get the get the coven ability from i think that's all i really wanted to get out there 
for this limited stuff. I think we actually, I think actually, considering I haven't been playing, um, we had quite a bit to talk about and a lot of good information and stuff to to put into this episode, Donovan. Yeah, I think so. Uh, before we go, I wanted to bring that bring up an email that we got because the we got an email to our podcast email. That's plaintalkerspod at gmail.com if anyone else wants to contact us. But uh, we got an email from a listener named Justin, and he just wanted to let us know that he he just recently got back into playing Magic, starting with Midnight Hunt, and he was looking around for a podcast to get ready for the pre-release, and he found ours, and he liked it, which I can't explain, but apparently he did. And I guess he, he was uh, responding to my pitiful whining last week about how nobody was participating in our giveaway and he said that one one problem with putting a review on apple Podcasts, uh he he really called me out on this one because he's absolutely i didn't think about this is you just can't do it from an android device uh the app is not available which you i figured that much right i didn't think about the fact that uh you don't really have another way to get to the show on Apple Podcasts and leave a review, right? He said he couldn't find a way to do it from the web browser either. So he left us a review on podchaser.com. And uh, and that's cool. I, I, I appreciate that. This is this is why I had, I had said that uh, you can review the show wherever it works for you. And, and if you let me know, then, then that, that counts 100%. So that's going to get Justin in on our secret layer giveaway. We're giving away secret layer full text lands foil edition. So that's going to happen at the end of this month. And uh, if you want to go over to podchaser.com, you can leave us a review there, or you can do it on whatever, whatever device you listen to the show on. If, and uh, just send us an email, let it, let us know where you did that. Yeah. I think the Apple podcast is just the one that we mentioned and the one that you're checking because it is the one that has a re- a podcast review thing and also people can listen to podcasts on it that is the most used. And so it it has the most direct effect on the podcasts like not availability like analytics. Um, no, I was going to say like um how how often sure. it is seen. And that and like I think that there's a there's a pretty good split on whether people have Android devices and Apple devices, but like if you have an iPhone you probably listen to your podcasts from Apple Podcasts because that's how that's how Apple do. They like to try and get you to use their apps, and uh, their proprietary stuff. Proprietary. You know? Whereas, like, you can use other apps on Apple devices to listen to podcasts. Apple really pushes Apple Podcasts, so you probably use that if you're on Apple. Whereas, if you're on Android, like, there's myriad options that people use. You know, so. So it's just harder for for me to say like what the like main one is, and obviously there's my own bias of just like I have an iPhone, so I listen to Apple Podcasts, and like I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's the podcast thing. Oh right, there are things other people use. <laughs> yeah, but like, but it's it's not because we're trying to get people to use Apple yeah, Podcasts. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't even particularly like Apple. Uh, I'm just kind of like bought in at this point. Like I don't really want to change phones because like. I'm familiar with my iPhone. Yeah. But I actually, I actually kind of felt bad because I felt a little bit like, um, 
Link just was like, I tried, I couldn't find a way to do Apple. I really don't care if you do Apple. That's part of why I started mentioning, like, you can do it wherever, just let me know. Because I wanted to say, use this one place, because then I would only have to check one place. But then it did occur to me, I was like, oh wait, but like, maybe you can't. If you can't, or don't want to even, just do it wherever. Just let, just let me know. Um, and he just said that he, he would... Uh, be happy to to get the basic lands, and he hopes to be an engaged listener. And like he said, he he rated us. He left a review on Podchaser.com, and he also recommended another app that might be helpful for doing reviews and stuff, which is Rate or not App website, which is RateThisPodcast.com. So if anyone wants to use that one, feel free to go to RateThisPodcast.com and uh, just shoot us an email there at PlainswalkersPod at gmail.com to let us know that you left us a review there. Uh, for now, I just want to let Justin know that I was, um, I really appreciate getting the email from him. Uh, kind of made my day. Be like, hey, here's a listener that's not just like directly related to us or <laughs> like uh, plays Magic at Boardwalk. <laughs> not that I have anything against our listeners who play Magic at Boardwalk. They are very special to us also. Donovan, you look like you're concentrating on something. Well, Rate right, This Podcast looks like it's not really a place for them to leave oh, really? reviews. No, it's it's a place for us to track reviews across different oh, okay. platforms. It does Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Castbox, Audible, Podcast Addict? Interesting. All right. On our uh, review on Podchaser, Justin said these the brothers on this podcast are really just enjoyable to listen to. That's that's like that's a that's very kind. Only our parents agree. <laughs> oh, okay, but I think. Uh, no, and I think that kind of wraps up everything that we wanted to get in on this episode. Um, next week, what are we doing next week, Norman? I don't know, dude. You're the one who makes yeah. the schedule. Put through. I, I am super lazy, my dude. I don't do anything. Looks like we got Donovan's birthday this week. I don't think that's an episode. Um, I don't care. It's going to be Donovan's birthday, so everyone wish Donovan a happy birthday. And then, oh, we've got an opening in our schedule for next week, so... We can talk about world championship. Yeah, we could do or that. Something. We could do it. We might. Uh, are is it going to be happening already or over or what? Yeah, it's eighth, ninth, and tenth. All right. So, so I guess I'm going to recommend that people tune in, watch some of the world championship stuff. Uh, check that stuff out this weekend. Wish Don a happy birthday on the social media and stuff. And uh, then next week we'll probably be talking about what happened at the world championship. So in the meantime, Donovan, if anybody wants to find you to tell you happy birthday where where can they get you uh, you can find me on at boardwalk i sell magic gathering cards there i'm there most days of the week or you can find me on twitter at day underscore donovan or most weeks i stream on twitch at dday underscore 99 i'm supposed to be doing right now but oh. i'm not <laughs> sorry i thought you were doing that on oh it is tuesday i'm losing my mind uh <laughs> if you want to ask me when my birthday is I probably won't tell you, but you can ask me at Engine Within on the Twitter, or you can email the podcast at... Ask me on Twitter, I'll tell you. ...at PlaintalkersPod at gmail.com, and you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash planeswalkers to support the show and get in on all our monthly giveaways. Until next time... I totally know his birthday. It's sometime in the Until next time. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. I'm not going to keep going. Mom's spaghetti? I'm surprised... Later days. I don't listen to rap, but I'm not, like, completely closed off from the world. I mean, 
my best friend in elementary school is a huge it, fan that of one's a really good one. Yeah. You know, it was out when I was in elementary school and had a friend who was in One, two, one, two, and through and through, the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. Jabberwocky, a true literary classic. Still, modern readers are not always impressed. Some go so far as to ridicule the author. True, modern heroes rarely need to face a Jabberwock, and the Jubjub bird has been hunted to extinction, and the Bandersnatch is a harmless domestic beast. However, while the planeswalker Lewis Carroll may have been lacking in zoology, no one has ever disputed his choice of armor. The Vorpal Brand is known throughout the multiverse as the killing instrument of choice. Whether you're facing a Jabberwock or a simple footpath, choose a Vorpal Sword. If it's not Vorpal, it's not on the cutting edge. That's kind. Of, that's what I titled the limited. Didn't realize, because uh, I know you don't actually listen to our podcast. I don't rewatch things, Duncan. Are you ready to rumble? Let's start the show. What? Uh, I don't. What? There's a song. It start. It like at the beginning of it goes. Let's start the show. Pretty sure it's where they started singing Space Jam. Space Jam. Yeah. Starts with let's start the show. No, let's get ready to rumble. Oh, um, I mean, I don't think that's the only place that's from. Obviously. Get wrecked, Duncan. RTFC. Yeah.